0: Mark 14, 43 through 65. You can follow along on screen as I read the passage aloud for us. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12 appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the chief priest stood up before them and asked "And asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy, what do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is God's word.
1: Good morning, church. It's really great to be back. It's been a little while. Um, If you've been around reality for some time, you know that I'm usually uh, preaching regularly, and I've actually been on a seven or eight month sabbatical. And I just want to speak about that for just a moment before I start my sermon. Uh, The end of last year, I felt like God started to nudge me to take a step back from preaching. And you know when Jesus tells you to do stuff you don't want to do? It's like la 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 la. Like I haven't really heard, you know, (laughs) like it can't possibly be Jesus. Um, but it was persistent, this nudge from the Holy Spirit to take a step back for a season. And I remember I sat in a restaurant with Pastor Jess, December of last year, just weeping because I was like, Jess, I don't want to take a break from preaching. I feel called to preach. I love it. I feel like it's really meaningful kingdom work. Like, what is Jesus possibly thinking? But I was like so like impressed that you know on my spirit I was like, I got to do this. So I called Dave and I was like, Dave, I'm going to take three months off and. Um, and for about two and a half months, I like, kind of dug my heel, heels in, you know, like reluctant obedience, like, ugh, don't know what Jesus could be thinking. And then about that two and a half month mark, God started to do some really deep healing work in my life around something that happened a couple of decades ago. And I realized that if I were doing all the things that I were doing and preaching, that there wouldn't have been really the space and the margin in my life to step back And in that moment, I realized, oh, he is good. He does love me. He's got good things for me. And, you know, the three months eventually kind of became seven or eight because that obedience kind of shifted into worship. And I was like, God, I'm enjoying this space. Like, as long as you want me to keep keep me here, that works for me. And I'm sharing that this morning because I have a sense that there may be some of you here and God is asking you to step away from something that seems good something that he gave you, something that you love, and it's making no sense. And my encouragement to you is to trust him, to trust him when even he doesn't make any sense because he is good and he is for you and he's doing something special in your life. Let's just open in prayer and then we'll dive in to the text today. Jesus, thank you that you are here in this space. Lord, I am fully confident that every single person that is in this room right now is here because you desire to touch their life to reveal yourself to them. And so, Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would come and that you would prepare our hearts for the word that you want to speak this morning. We take authority over principalities and powers that might want to distract and even lie to us as we're sitting under your word and we silence them and rebuke them in Jesus' name. And Jesus, we lift your name up in this space. This is your room. This is your house. We are your people. And we come under your authority. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Last week, Sergio masterfully took us through Jesus' prayer, this desperate, agonizing suffering. We were witness to the humanity of Jesus, maybe in ways we haven't at all up until this point in the book of Mark. All his emotions in this this passionate moment are on display. And then we find Jesus with the disciples. And in this text that we read, only Jesus and Judas are mentioned. This is their moment. This is what's happening here. Mark wants our attention on their relationship. Judas has been with the disciples, follower of Jesus, probably for a good portion, if not all, of the three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry. We know in Mark 6 that Judas went out preaching the gospel, healing the sick. He had been embedded in this community. He had been traveling with them, sitting in those intimate moments with Jesus. He was one of them. In fact, the phrase that we read at the very first sentence of our text, one of the 12, is only mentioned nine times in the gospels and eight of them are referring to Judas. The writers of the gospels want us to know Judas was one of them wasn't a random outsider, wasn't a stranger. He was a brother, a disciple, he was family. And church, this should be a warning to us this morning, that it's possible to be in proximity to Jesus, but not love Jesus. It's possible to be in the Jesus community, to hang with the crew, to do all the Jesus stuff, to go to church on Sundays, to be a good person, to maybe even claim the name of Christian or Jesus follower, to do all of that but not love him. Many people have debated, well, why did Judas betray Jesus? Well, we know he was greedy. We know that because in John 12, it says that he was in charge of all the money for the disciples and he was helping himself to that money. He was greedy. He got paid for betraying Jesus. Maybe that was a huge part of it, I'm sure. Other theologians also suggest that Judas was disappointed with Jesus. They had all been waiting for a Messiah, someone to take down the Romans and to restore the glory of Israel. And here we have a man riding a donkey. How disappointing. We know that just a few verses before when Jesus was being anointed by Mary with this just lavish perfume. Judas is like, uh, hello, we could use that for something better. That money, that's so lavish, that's so extravagant. Jesus rebukes him. It's very plausible that Judas was disappointed in this Jesus. I wonder how do you react when the Jesus you get isn't the Jesus you want? Like he doesn't do what we, what we tell him to do. He doesn't answer prayer in the way that we would prefer. He seems to have his own timeline, which is constantly at odds with ours. And he rarely seems as committed to our success and comfort as we are. How disappointing. There's nothing more frustrating than when God goes off script. Like, this is the plan. Jesus, could you just come do this? But how do we react when the Jesus we get isn't the Jesus that we want? Do we turn to him with trusting hearts and say, well, God, this is unexpected, or this wasn't my plan, or I don't really understand, and trust you and lean in, or do we turn away? The outcome for Judas is clear. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. I want you to just imagine that garden, dark, it's nighttime, maybe the moon and the stars for light, but that's probably about all. Judas needs to make sure that they get the right man. So he agrees that he will approach Jesus and kiss him. Now, in New Testament times, it would have been traditional for a rabbi and his disciples to kiss on the cheek as a greeting or a sign of respect. And interestingly, this is the only time in the Gospels that it's explicitly recorded. Judas doesn't betray Jesus by pointing at him and yelling. He betrays him with this act of intimacy. The writer wants us to pay attention to just the treachery and the dishonesty of this moment. You see, the kiss looks intimate, but it's only the outward appearance of affection and respect. How many times have we kissed Jesus with our outward performance, but our hearts remain unsurrendered? We show up and we do the thing that's required. We look, we appear to be loving Jesus and following Jesus and showing respect for Jesus, but in our hearts, we remain unsurrendered. It's my life. It's my way. After his betrayal by Judas, Jesus is arrested and all the disciples leave. The disciples at once said, we will never leave you. We're here to the end. We've got your back. We are your people. They all flee. And they're exposed in all of that uncertainty and fear and confusion. The very same people that said, we're with you, with you to the end. They leave him deserted. And then we have this obscure text, which I know that all of you are desperate for me to unpack, the naked man. (laughs) It's this very strange couple of sentences in there that it's like, what on earth is going on? It says, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I mean, what on earth? It's like, Mark, why do we need this detail? Some people actually suggest that this is Mark, that this is him, his own story. It's possible. I don't think any of us really know, but some people have suggested that. Regardless of who this man is, Mark has deliberately left it ambiguous for us. Where have we seen nakedness and running before in Scripture? This is a nod back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, and they took the fruit and they sinned and they suddenly realized they were naked and they were like, oh my gosh, we're going to try and cover ourselves. And they run, ashamed, away from God. You see, Mark is giving us a visual of the human condition. The reason that this man is unnamed is because this is all of us. This man represents all of us. I mean, we'd like to think we'd be there, maybe creeping from behind a bush, being like, no, 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 don't take Jesus. Like, I wouldn't have abandoned him. I would have stuck by his side. But what Mark is trying to communicate to us is we would have abandoned him too. This is the human condition. We're we're full of sin, and we feel ashamed, and we run from the very person that can save us. See, we too would have abandoned Jesus, and we too do abandon Jesus. You might say, well, Ruthie, I don't abandon Jesus. Like, I'm like all in. But it's sometimes the little movements of our heart, isn't it? Perhaps you know what it's like to be in a conversation with someone that you love, a spouse, a friend, someone in your inner circle, and you're in pain. You want that person to lean in, to ask questions, to hold you and be present to you, and they don't. They're Too tired, they've had a long day, they feel overwhelmed, they're too distracted, and you feel that sting, that rejection. You want to be with them, but they won't be with you. How often do we do that to God? God is leaning in towards us, wants to be present with us, is speaking to us, directing us, leading us by his spirit, and we turn away, well, I'm just tired, distracted, I'm over there, and we just can't be present with him. It's the small ways we abandon Jesus. We choose self-reliance, control. We grow kind of cold and apathetic, and we're okay with that. We abandon prayer and community and intimacy, maybe even our calling, our holiness, our purpose, and we trade it in for a good moral performance. So I'll ask it again. How many times have we kissed Jesus with our outward performance, but our hearts remain and surrendered. Church, this morning, we have to face the reality that we have a tendency in the human condition to turn, to leave, to exit, to abandon, to eject in the moments when God is calling us into intimacy. Let's return to that garden scene for just a moment. Mark makes no attempt to lessen the emotional blow of what we're witnessing. There's no comfort in the scene. This is supposed to make us all feel uncomfortable and kind of, oh, I don't want to look. Like Jesus is desperate and alone and he's been betrayed and abandoned and everybody goes and then Peter's kind of trailing behind when we know he's about to deny him. Like he's on his way to be killed and he's been betrayed by a kiss. And everybody that said they would be there Peter, who just a short time ago said, even if everyone else abandons you, I will not. Everyone deserts him. Have you ever had someone say that to you? Like, I'm in it to the end with you. Like, I'm committed. I never leave you. I promise I'm here for you. I've got your back. But the reality is they don't stay. They don't have your back and they do leave. I'm not a therapist, I'm not the therapist in the Kim family, that's my husband, Um, but I spend enough time with people to know that abandonment leaves a mark, a significant impact, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, that abandonment wound, it goes deep. Maybe you're here this morning and a parent walked out on you, physically, just never known them. They left, or maybe emotionally. Like, they're still around, but it's like you just can't connect. They're not there. They don't see you. They don't understand you, and you kind of live with that. Maybe it's a spouse, a fiancé, special relationship that started out so great, and you let that person into the deepest place, and then they walked away, and you're left picking up the pieces. Perhaps it's your community that fell apart. Friendships that were so pivotal, kind of grown cold. People you never imagine saying goodbye to. You're just like, and I guess they're gone. I don't think it's possible to live in San Francisco and not have felt abandonment. People come, people go. Or maybe you are here today and you have felt or do feel abandoned by God. Like you have been praying for something for so long, it just feels like the heavens are closed to you. Like God just isn't here, he's not there. Maybe you've been through something, maybe you're going through something, and God just feels so absent and you feel abandoned by him. I get that. That's a part of my story too. When I was 18, my 21-year-old brother died very suddenly. No goodbyes, no I love you, he's just gone. And I remember standing by his graveside at the funeral in January in England, and it was frosty everywhere and cold, and I've never felt so alone than in that moment. I remember thinking, God, have you abandoned me? Like, where are you? I feel so numb. And, you know, I grew up in the church. I knew all the great scriptures about God, never leave you or forsake you. I had memorized the Footprints poem, if you know that poem. You know, like I had all the stuff in my head, but my heart, longed for a connection with Jesus and I couldn't feel it and you know sometimes we're in those moments we encounter Jesus in really close ways and I've had those experiences too and those experiences are real and true and we need to hear those stories but at this moment in my life that wasn't my story and know that feeling of wondering if God has turned his back One of the implications of this abandonment wound that we experience is that we never, ever want to feel that again. I mean, it just wrecks us, doesn't it? We never want to feel that pain. We don't want to feel rejected and forgotten. We don't want to feel like people are going to disregard us or exit our lives. And so we build these walls around us, and we live with the residue of abandonment, wrestling with the enemy, pushing it down, trying to lessen the impact, trying to cope going to prove them wrong, they'll see they shouldn't have left, trying to learn to trust our gut again, get back our confidence and our worth, but without even realizing something that was part of our story became a part of our identity. Like they said in the introduction, I work as an executive coach. People often say to me, well, what do you do? What is that? And I guess in its simplest form is I help people tap into their potential and explore what they're capable of. It's really fun. Building a business, starting an organization, chasing a dream, becoming about a leader, about a communicator, whatever it is, those conversations are great. Sometimes people come to me and say, can you help me with a life vision? Like I'm just not really sure what I'm doing in life. I've had all the success, but, but what's the big vision? What am I trying to create? And I love those conversations too. And I'm a big believer that in order to explore that, To explore the landscape of your life and just really ask the question, like, what am I capable of if I tapped into all my potential and left nothing on the table? First, you have to know yourself. Do you know your wiring, your personality, who you are? You have to know your story and listen to your life. What has shaped you? What has formed you? All of those conversations. I was having a conversation recently with someone from our community, and I'm going to name her Elizabeth. She gave me permission to share her story here today. She was talking to me about her life and kind of how she ended up where she ended up. And as we got talking, she began to tell me about her home growing up. She experienced neglect, abuse, and violence. Her family moved around a lot. So as a little kid, uprooting, trying to plant, uprooting, trying to plant, lots of goodbyes, lots of people exiting her life. At one point... Dad left for three years, and nobody knew where he was. He left her with a mother who was unable to care for her or parent her well. No comfort, no care. I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of this young girl. What's it feel like when dad walks out and you literally don't know where he is? What's it feel like to be left with a parent that is emotionally inaccessible to you? and what you might begin to think about yourself. Dad came back, mom left. And years later, mom passed away very suddenly. And at this point in the story, she looked at me and she said, Ruthie, abandonment has been stamped into my story. It's everywhere, all the relationships, across the whole landscape of her life. So many people left, so many people said goodbye. And at the crucial life moments, when a child needs a parental figure, there was nobody there. And in moments of pain and struggle and questioning, there was no one to speak life. She came to believe that everybody would leave because no one ever sticks around. I mean, that's her story. That's her history. Why would she believe anything different? I asked how that abandonment had shaped her, and she said, She is an overdeveloped sense of independence. Because when everybody else leaves, when no one's going to stick around, then it's all on you, right? Because how can you trust anyone? How can you depend on anyone? How can you be that vulnerable? Nope, it's on you to hold it together, to be strong. And that's exactly what she did, but it left her with this incredible feeling of isolation. And if we're honest here, church, this morning, Many of us have been impacted by some form of abandonment. And how has that changed us? We want to be in control of our lives, our work, our family, like every aspect, because who can be trusted? Because they will walk away. They will fail us. They will bail. They're not up to it. Nope, it's all on me. And we live with the weight of that, and it's exhausting, Or we have this, like, low-grade feeling of isolation. Like, yeah, we say we're community. Or, yeah, my friends say they're friends. But you know what? I just have this just deep sense that I'm alone in the world, that no one will ever see me, no one will ever stick it out. Like, it's just me. Or maybe you find yourself snatching your heart back from relationships, demanding that people prove again and again and again that they will never leave you because it's like so scary to offer it up and you give it back and then you snatch it back again and the cycle continues. And many of us are plagued with a fear that we will spend our whole lives trying everything possible to feel worthy and lovable and someone worth fighting for and we'll end our life having never felt that. abandonment casts a long shadow, doesn't it? But it's not just what goes on in our head. You see, the enemy loves a solid abandonment story. Like, he loves that stuff, and I tell you, he is no respecter of age. So it doesn't matter if you were one or if you're 25 or 50, he'll be right in there telling you a story because he's a liar. Web of lies. Mom and dad walked out? Great. You should never trust anyone again. Spouse, fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend turn their back on you, awesome. You'll never be vulnerable again. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't try that. Look what happened. He loves that stuff. He can work with all of that. The boss who doesn't have your back, that just that moment when you feel betrayed. That best friend that's just grown so distant over time, you just start wondering, what's wrong with me? That romantic split, that just those final cutting words that you just can't shake. Oh, he loves that stuff. He loves that stuff because it's a web of lies and fear and shame and loneliness that he has been fabricating since the beginning. God doesn't care about you, and he will abandon you. You might not hear those exact words in your head, but if we dig down deep into the abandonment pain, somewhere in there, we're questioning, God, are you going to go too? Can I really trust you? After 10 years of not stepping foot in a church because she was so angry, hated God, Elizabeth found her way into reality, San Francisco. I like to think that someone, God, found her and brought her here. And one Sunday, uh, Dave was preaching a sermon about God on the cross and of Jesus on the cross saying my god my god why have you forsaken me and in that moment she had an encounter with Jesus she had an encounter with the Jesus that hung on the cross feeling alone she had an encounter with Jesus who knew what it was like to be betrayed and abandoned by everyone in his life they all ran everyone left and she was like he gets my pain He knows what I've been through. He sees me. He's not this distant, far-off God that can't relate to my agony. He's felt that abandonment. And Likewise, she's like, I can see him. We can relate. My Savior has experienced the same kind of thing as me, and she met Jesus. Her life was changed, and nothing has really ever been the same. Church, maybe you were here today, and you have felt some of the pain that Elizabeth felt, and I want to tell you that God knows that pain. He knows what it's like to have everybody walk away, reject him, betray him, and leave him to die. Why would he do all of that? In the second portion of our text, Jesus is arrested and he's being interrogated by the high priest. And it's easy to overlook this moment because we know, we know who Jesus is. Why is this a pivotal moment? Well, if you remember through the book of Mark, Jesus has been healing and delivering and doing all his good Jesus stuff. And then he keeps saying to people, shh, don't tell anyone who I am. And we've discussed this over the course of this sermon series, this messianic motif, the secret that Jesus was waiting Because until the end, people wouldn't really understand him as Messiah. But here we are. The high priest says to him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. You see, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Everything that Jesus has done has brought us here. This is the master plan in its final act, the showdown. Jesus is fully awake, fully alert, focused, No more secrets. The mission is clear. He is the Christ. And he is on mission. What is the mission? You and me. You and me are the mission. We've always been the mission. This unshakable resolve to face the cross, it's because he loves us. We are the reason for this moment that we're reading about that's unfolding, the greatest moment in history. Jesus is about to go die and rise again. Why is this happening, you and me? Because since the beginning, the garden... We've been naked and ashamed and dealing with every blow that has come against us. And church, we literally cannot save ourselves. You might be here this morning and be like, i got some strategy to feel better about my life. I'm in therapy and I'm doing all the things. Awesome. But I tell you, there are some things in our lives that only Jesus can free us from. And there are some of you here this morning and you've tried all those things and that's what's led you here. You tried all the self-help, you tried all the therapy, you tried all the relationships, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, and it didn't solve a thing. Because there's some things only Jesus can heal. So what does this mean? It means that the very thing that was designed to crush you, confuse you, push you into isolation and destruction is the very thing that God has seized and reversed He has rewritten your story, conquered the power of death, and claimed you as his own. It means that everything that was done to you and me, everything that was spoken over our lives, every person that turned their back and walked out the door, everybody that said they would be there and then they weren't, every word spoken over us that we were not worthy for that person to stick around, or they don't really care that much, that Jesus reversed that. And now says, I call you chosen and beloved and worth fighting for. And that is a word for some of you in this room that you have literally said, I wish there was someone that would fight for me. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus did and he is. Jesus is not going to abandon you. How can I be so sure of that? Because he had every opportunity. Every opportunity and he didn't. In the garden when one of his best friends betrayed him. Gosh, three and a half years of doing life together, living together, traveling together, and then just turned. Every disciple fleeing. The false accusations, the torture, the cross. At any moment, he could have said, you know, I'm done with them. It's just not worth it to me. Look how you've treated me. But he didn't. He stayed the course because you and I are the master plan. We are the mission to redeem and restore what was broken in Genesis. You know, it's really funny. In Mark, he uses this term young man, you know, with the naked dude. He only uses it one other time. In Mark 16, when Mary arrives at Jesus' tomb and finds a young man sitting there dressed in a white robe. See, Mark likes to play a little bit with clothing in his gospel to tell us about something about the greater story. I don't think this is a coincidence because we were naked and ashamed and running for our lives, but because of Jesus, we are clothed in white, redeemed and washed clean. This is the switch here. This is the great reversal. I love Mark's creativity with this passage. Church, he loves us. Some of you have been in churches and all you've heard is the things that you need to do better. And I'm telling you this morning that if Jesus could say one thing right now to you, he'd say he loves you. 1 John 3 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. What kind of love? Great love. Not fluffy love. Not like one day I'm feeling it, but the next I'm not. And I don't know. And I might change my mind. And if you could just be different, I might. Great love. Powerful love. The kind of love that fueled the mission that sent Jesus to us to restore us to him and to put the devil under our feet. And church, I think it's time that we put the liar and the thief and the destroyer on notice. Because 1 John 3 also says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's been one of my favorite scriptures since I was a child. (laughs) The reason he came was to crush the things that condemn you and bind you and oppress you and the thing that you've tried to get free from and you can't, that's why Jesus came. Look, there's some bondage in this room today. There's some like strongholds, there's some lies, there's some stuff that we've been sitting under, but that's okay because Jesus is the bondage breaker. There are some lies that we're believing, some strategies, some things the enemy's been spinning us in since we were a child. But that's okay because Jesus brings freedom. You're his mission. You've always been his mission. He loves you. He wants you to know that kind of freedom from the lies of abandonment and rejection. We're going to move into a kind of special time of response this morning as the worship team comes on up. I recognize that when we talk about this stuff, a lot of things get stirred up. It's kind of like a snow globe when you shake it, and it's like, whoa, what do I do with all of this? Well, we're going to do something with it today. We're not just going to leave you and say, God bless, have a great Sunday. Um, There are some things that you're remembering right now that you'd rather not remember. There are some faces there are some words, there are some things that maybe you've been burying for a long time. My mentor says to me, What you bury, you bury alive. There are some stuff that we've touched this morning that we want to bring to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you resonate with kissing Jesus with outward performance, but you know your heart's unsurrendered. You know there's like sin or like just stuff you've been doing. You've made excuses for it because all your friends are doing it. You live in San Francisco. That can't really apply to you. You're just, you've kind of grown cold and apathetic. If that's you this morning, I want to tell you that Jesus doesn't want your outward performance. He wants your heart. He wants your heart as an opportunity to respond this morning. And maybe you're here today and abandonment has been stamped into your story just like Elizabeth. We're going to create space this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Dave McKinney up to lead us in a time of prayer and response. Before he does that, I I want to share one, one small thing. When I said, I shared about, you know, how I felt really abandoned by God when my brother passed away, you might be wondering, well, what helped you get through that? Therapy, community, and an encounter with Jesus. If you're here today and you just feel like God's forgotten you, do all the good things. Hang with your community. Get the care that you need. But to some, it's, there's some places in our heart where we just need to meet with Jesus and hear him speak over us. I know you thought I wasn't there, but I was. I know you couldn't see me, but I was there. I'll always be there. Think about this mission. It hasn't ended Like Jesus went to the cross and died and and, and won all the victory and forgiveness and redemption and all that good stuff, but he's still after you. He's still chasing after you. He's still got this resolve of just like, I'm coming for you, I love you. And some of you are gonna walk out of here today and you're gonna have encounters this week and you're gonna remember these words and be like, this is Jesus. Jesus is chasing after me. He is. It's who he is. He's just gonna always be chasing after you. As we move into this response time, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to invite Dave to go ahead and and lead us through a time of prayer.